embrace the awkward. Yes, uh, there is a scripture uh, in Ephesians that, that God desires. This is long before I'm going to read the, the highlighted portion. Long before he, um, Christ, laid down the f- earth's foundations, he had you, had us in mind. He had you and I in mind and had settled on us as the focus of his love. God is always motivated by love. Always. Even on the cross, he was motivated by love for you and me and our family and our co-workers and our neighbors. And the focus of his love is that you are to be made whole and holy. Complete and holy. And so this is one of those areas and one of those topics that honestly, I'll admit it and I'll apologize for it, but the church often ignores. And so um, this doesn't always, doesn't just, this isn't a ploy to get people in the pew. This is, the fact is, you are important. You matter. You don't just matter to Wapak Naz, you matter to God. And this is a discussion that needs to be had because there are many of us out there walking and trying to live life but are dealing with these things and we have kept them under wraps. And essentially we're just merely existing. We don't want you to merely exist. We want you to live in the fullness that you were created to live in. I personally, as I kind of walked through a little bit last week, um, my life has not gone untouched by any of these issues. Um, I even was processing my entire life this past week, and I had a memory that I completely um, spaced out and forgotten. Um, I always go back to high school uh, when a high school senior, uh, his brother was in my class, he, he took his life. We, we heard the announcement, second period French class. But I forgot that my cousin, Susan, had two kids, took her own life. Completely had forgotten that. I had forgotten that I had a buddy who was um, military, who came to my house and said, man, I'm having an issue. We immediately went to the emergency room, sat with him all night. On a lesser, less heavier type of uh, scenario, this, this was my high school career. Tums and Rolades, yes, yes. Uh, In the console of my mom's trailblazer were a bottle of Tums from my freshman through senior year. And that bottle of Rolades, yeah, that sat in my locker because I was anxious. I was projecting uh, a future, a negative future, as I drove, as I rode to school with my mom. I projected a negative future with negative outcomes, and I was worried about all the scenarios that could happen. I was worried about what everybody else was thinking about me, and essentially it manifested in this region right here. And so I did what I thought I could do, was take Tums to try to calm me down, to make it less bubbly on the inside, if you know what I mean. It was a rough four years. It was a rough four years. None of us are immune. And so this is why we're having the discussion. Last week we had a discussion about the fact that that God has made us uh, and wired us to be not only holy, but also to be whole, and that there is hope to heal. But also this week, we're going to step into the conversation about anxiety and depression and suicidal ideation. Next week, um, we're going to have the discussion about grief and loss. And it's not just the loss of a loved one. We grieve a lot of things, not just losing someone in our life. Last but not least, the end of the month, we're going to step into a conversation about resiliency. That you are wired to develop resiliency, to have courage, 
It's not about comfort. You can't just have comfort and courage at the same time. They don't exist together. But you are wired to have courage and, and resiliency. And so we want to provide that for you. And so throughout this whole series, we're providing you tools and resources. Um, there's a handout in, in your bulletin as well, and we're going to access this. But um, this all has uh, been helped out and supported by our friend Carrie Taylor. Uh, Carrie, would you mind coming coming up? Um, this whole conversation, um, Carrie's from Cornerstone of Hope. She's the executive director and counselor, uh, licensed professional counselor. And uh, when this idea um, kind of surfaced in my mind, um, I emailed a lot of people, and she kept coming up. Carrie Taylor, talk to Carrie Taylor, Carrie Taylor. So, Carrie, we want to welcome you back. Thanks, and, it's great uh, to be here again. We really, um, I just want to say thank you. Um, last week was absolutely phenomenal. Um, your insight and your, your depth um, and, and just the being able to make it so simple for us to grasp because I'm a simple guy. Um, I, do, I do pictures and stick figures. I'm simple. Uh, I need simple. So uh, you made it very clear for us. So I, I just want to say thank you for taking time. Um, and she's going to be with us through the entirety of the month. Um, and so, Carrie, uh, I want to want to ask you a couple questions. Um, so anxiety, and we'll start with, with anxiety there, if that's okay. Um, anxiety is, has a continuum, um, and uh, I, I currently have anxiety right now. As I, I step into this morning, I was very anxious this morning about this, this, this service. I'm really just anxious about this whole series um, because it's, it's needed, and uh, I, I'm just hoping people connect with it and people connect with God. But anxiety has a continuum, and, and uh, there, there's good anxiety, like um, the bear in the tree. Uh, you want to uh, not run. Uh, you want to blow your whistle and walk back, back away very, very slowly. But there's also the anxiety of this is perpetual. This is in my life, and it's overwhelming. And I kind of compare it to... Um, so much so of, of sweeping the desert free of sand. It just doesn't go away. It really doesn't go away. So can you speak to that continuum and, and really speak to what anxiety really is? Thank you. Absolutely. So anxiety, we've got to kind of differentiate a little bit between stress and anxiety, okay? So um, anxiety is worrying about what might happen, right? It hasn't even happened yet. Have you all realized this? That the stuff you just dwell on all the time hasn't even happened yet but you're worried that it might, right? And so you go through all these scenarios of what might happen, right? So that's anxiety. Worry is basically just dwelling on that, right? It's when you get an anxious thought and you're just like, I'm gonna camp there for a little bit, right? That's worry. Stress is feeling like I do not have the resources to meet the demands on my life, okay? So all those things can roll into one, right? And they can feel really intense. But I just wanted to help you understand some of the differences in some of those words that we use. Um, but here, here's a fact, I don't know if you know this, but y'all are not robots. Did you know that? Okay, you are human, be I know Matthew, you did not know that, right? <laughs> this is new for you, I know, wow. But you're not, and that is so important for you all to understand that just because you have a relationship with Jesus does not equal being a robot, which means I walk through life where nothing bothers me anymore and I'm full of joy all the time, right? It means you are human and you are going to face difficult things. There are, life is unpredictable, right? There are going to be difficult things we face this side of heaven. And so because of that, if, if you think that being a believer means that you should have a life void of any kind of anxiety or any kind of stress, then, then you're, you're kind of mis misunderstanding really what what you are as a human. I mean, like you said, there's some stress that's actually really good. Do you know that stress brings your, um, it heightens your awareness, it gets you focused, right? Some stress is really good, but stress that gets overloaded and overwhelmed over time to where you feel like I can't function, that's unhealthy. Um, just the same with anxiety. So our brain is there to help us understand, hey, there's a threat here. What do we do with that, right? What do we do with this worried thought or this possibility? Um, but God has given us some tools to actually handle that. Now, there's some that's situational, right? So Correct. some some anxiety is going to come up just because you're in a situation. You know, if you find out you have an illness, well, you may never have had anxiety before, but now you do because there's something unsure. 
Um, but then there's some anxiety called generalized anxiety disorder where that's just kind of like you just live in kind of a state of anxiousness um, a lot of the time. And it's very easy for your brain to go that direction. There's hope for it, but it's very easy for your brain to go there. Um, and, uh, and then there's, um, the, I mean, there's, there's all different types of anxiety too, but. Well, I want to, I want to drop back just for a second yeah. because, um, you, you said something that was really important and, and it's very apparent that we're in a church and, uh, that's very apparent that we've been talking about Christ and we're praising, praising him, worshiping him. You said something about the fact that just because you have Jesus, um, doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to deal with these on on the far end of the spectrum. Um, so I gotta ask because what does that produce in in believers of God? That hey, I've got this issue. I love Jesus. I love God, but I have this issue in my life. And what does that typically begin to produce in us as a believer and as a human being? More anxiety, basically, right? Congratulations. Because, yeah. <laughs> Because we have this perception that, oh dear, I claim to know Jesus, I claim to have a relationship with him, but I cannot seem to manage this, this anxiety that's welling up in me. So what does that say about me? What does everybody think about me? If I actually say this out loud, what are they going to think? And you just go on this total negative downward spiral in your thinking, right? Which leads you to isolate which leads you to absolutely shut down. You'd never tell anybody that you deal with this because what might they think if you, as someone who claims to know Jesus, struggles with anxiety? And I would, I would think that that would also um, produce guilt yep. um, mm -hmm. and shame. Mm -hmm. um, and essentially, it, it is that cycle. It's a huge cycle. Mm -hmm. So um, on, on an anxiety level, um, You've kind of mentioned a little bit about the spectrum. Um, what goes on in us? Uh, what goes on in us? Not only cognitively, but neurologically and physiologically with anxiety. Because one of the things we're going to talk about is self-awareness. Mm -hmm. So um, can, can you kind of address a little bit of that? I sure can. So when anxiety raises up, remember last week, if you were here, if you weren't here, I'll try and catch you up real quick. You have amygdala, right? Which are located on each side of, of your, your earlobes, right? Do you remember what shape they are? Almonds! That's Look at right. you! Gold star for the day. Congratulations. That's, right. that's Latin for <laughs> almond shaped. That's all it means. If you like almonds, if you like peanut M&Ms, grapes, something that shape, okay? Y'all conquer those things, right? You have the ability to conquer these almonds when they go crazy in your head. So those almonds are there and they're they're really, your amygdala is, is it perceives danger around you. It perceives threats around you, right? And when it sees that, it um, your heart rate starts to go faster, your blood flow increases because it's, it's ramping your body up, your adrenaline starts surging because you're ready to fight or flee the situation, right? Oh, yeah. Which works really well if you're facing a bear. Uh, and yes, right? yes. But very different <laughs> when you are worried about a conversation with your boss. That's not life-threatening right? But your amygdala gets a little hyperactive and it perceives it as, and so all those same physiological things happen. Some people get a little, get warm, get hot, right? Your, your pulse quickens, you start sweating. That's what I do. get nauseous, things yes. like that, right? Yes. So that's what's happening because your body is getting ready to react. And it, it goes from there to now you have this emotional response. You have emotions that are triggered in your, in your hippocampus, your lip, limbic system of your brain. And so you have these emotions and then you just go into freak out mode basically, right? Like what do I need to do to make myself feel better, right? I'll just avoid my boss all day. You know, maybe if I just call in sick, mm. right? And mm. so we never face it. So we actually reinforce the anxiety by ignoring it. And, um, and so that's what happens, but th that is where also the hope comes in because there's another part of your brain, which is your frontal lobe, which is the part of your brain that tells you the truth about a situation and helps you have a new perspective. And I gotta tell you, I was thinking of this, Pastor Stephen, that people ask me all the time, Carrie, what does hope mean? What, what does that even mean? It's a good your question. question of hope, what is it? It's a very good question. And I always tell them, I say, you know, I have seen it over and over as hope is a new perspective on my situation. It is a whole new way of looking at this that now I can see it through the lens 
of maybe my heavenly father, of, of him giving hope to this. It doesn't always mean your situation changes, but it means you now have a perspective on it that you can move forward with, right? And that's, the hope, that's what hope is. So one of the things, and, and I'm going to quote somebody, so I, I'm just going to, uh, I'm quoting Erwin McManus because they actually had a discussion about mental health, um, which I found subsequent to um, planning the series. And he says, a relationship with God is putting your trust in someone who is invisible. I mean, you literally can't see God um, unless he just miraculously manifests himself. Um, putting uh, your trust in someone who's invisible. Ironically, anxiety is actually putting trust in something that is also invisible uh, because what we are doing is projecting a negative outcome, as I kind of mentioned earlier, a negative outcome into our own future. This is why we feel depressed, because we can't imagine a better you. We can't imagine a better future, uh, a better life for ourselves. Essentially, we're rooting our soul in the most negative future possible. So you had talked about hope. Um, and, and anxiety has a number of unidentified outcomes. And one of the things, because I, I do want us to breach the conversation here and, and, and bring that line to hope and, or to anxiety and depression, but um, anxiety, seems, anxiety and depression seem to have some commonalities, but it's really important that we separate those commonalities and that address these two things differently. But sometimes depression itself manifests itself in a way that we cannot imagine a better future for us um, or, or a better life for ourselves. We can't see it. So can one, can you speak to that if possible? I, I don't know if I'm putting you on the hot seat with that one or not, but I don't want to. Um, but also, can you begin to start to piece together anxiety and depression and then pull them apart? Absolutely, absolutely. Let me let me kind of explain explain some some of the aspects of depression, maybe, and then mm -hmm. let me link them together. Yeah, because they often come um, together. So in depression, again, you can have that situational depression. Like if, if you lose a loved one, or if um, all of a sudden you lose your job, or your 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 marriage is going through some stress, you can go through a, what we call a major depressive disorder, where you kind of dip down really deep, right? And it really feels hopeless, and you're really not sure what's happening, and and you don't want to get out of bed because if you get out of bed, you got to face it all again, right? And so there is some of that that often has a trigger to that. Not always, but often has a trigger to that deep-seated depression. And then there's what they call persistent depressive disorder, which is kind of like, if this is like, I feel good right here, then people with persistent depressive disorder kind of function right under the radar of that, right? They just kind of never get to that place. I want I want to feel good. I just can't quite get there. And sometimes that's for chemical reasons going on in your body. For whatever reason, there's something off base. Um, there's still hope for that. Um, sometimes it's through medication that just brings you right back up to where you need to be. Um, and it just provides that, that little help that you need. Um, so there is there's, um, that. There's also, and I'm going to link, I'll, I'll link anxiety and depression here in a second. But there's, um, there's also, and, and, and I'll just touch on this really quickly because I want to make sure you understand. I am not saying that if you have anxiety or depression that, that it's because of sin in your life because it's not. Remember, you're human. You're not a robot, right? This is real-life stuff you face. However, right. there are times that we are willfully choosing to live outside of God's best for us. And I have had people in my office come as clients, and they're like, I don't know why, but I feel so depressed. And I'll ask them what's going on in their life, and they will, they will lay out how they are willingly living in sin. And I'll say, well, it might be the Holy Spirit at work here not allowing you to feel okay until you get back in a right relationship with Jesus. Now, I want to make sure I say that carefully. That does yeah. not mean if you have depression that you need to go home and do a whole soul search. Like, what is wrong? Lord, am I living outside of your best? But if you already know if something is raising up in you right now and you're feeling anxious and you're getting hot because you know <laughs> that you're not living in the, in the way that God would desire for you to be whole and holy, then that might be a reason. And once you get that relationship right, it can go away. So let me, let me link these two, though, okay? Sure. So to the slide. All right. 
This is this is my type of slide. It's really simple. Yeah, this is how it works. Okay, yeah. you ready? So, um, for a lot of people, I find that anxiety and depression are linked together. And some people come to our office and they say, "I'm really depressed," and I, I don't know what's going on. Is the more they unpack everything, I think. I tell them, I say, I don't even think it's depression. I think you're on anxiety. I think you've got anxiety or stress that's never been managed well. And it's kind of led to this feeling of depression. So let me explain this. So you see where it says calm? That's like if you were at the base level, right? Where you just feel confident, right? When we feel confident, we typically don't feel anxiety, do we? We don't feel um, stress. We don't feel worried. We don't feel depressed. We're, we're calm. We're confident. It's good. So then you see this cliff, right? This kind of like upward spiral. Now, it, let's just say that your day started at calm, okay? And um, as soon as you uh, get to work, you find out that there is another project on your desk. And so your calm is now disrupted, right? Now we're ramping up, okay? Now, while you're at work, you get a call that your kid's sick, and somehow you've got to rearrange your whole day to get them home ramping up, right? Then let's just say that um, you realize, oh my goodness, I only got four hours of sleep last night. I am exhausted. How am I supposed to get through this day? And you ramp up. So if things keep, then you get home and, and your spouse is upset with you because of something. Now you're ramped up. So if all your day keeps ramping up. That sounds laughing? like a lot like life. Yeah, it does sound <laughs> I mean, that's like just life, life. Right? That's a lot of life, It right? does. So if those things keep happening um, over and over and over, and those sound like external things. It could even be just your thought on a situation. Let's say you're at work and one of your stressors was because that coworker they looked at you funky and you're like, mm, they hate me. I just know it. I know they don't like me. I can't believe it. You yeah. know, and so you write this whole story in your head that you haven't even checked out if it's true, but now you're ramping up because you think it's mm -hmm. true, right? Because if you think it, your body begins to react to it. And so you're ramping up this thing. And so by the time you have, if you have done nothing to manage it, to get it back down to a calm level where you can manage it, it will keep going until you get to the top of that cliff where you feel completely overwhelmed. Have you ever been there? Yeah, because you're human, right? Yeah. We've all been there. And what happens when we get to the overwhelmed place, we flip over into this negative downward spiral of thinking where we say things like this. This is way too much. I'm never going to make it. I can't believe this. My marriage is never going to be great. I'm not the greatest mom. I can't believe it. At work, I can't even get everything done. I should just, I should just quit. I should really, I should just go away. I should leave. I should, I, this is going to eternally be awful. I am the worst. Wow. Have you ever done that? Because you're human. And we, we flip into this depression. There is hope for this. You are not stuck there. Um, and we're going to talk some more about that. But this is where those two things link together, where anxiety just on overload can flip into depression. And then people who are living in depression feel anxious because they can't get to what they need to get to, right? Because we start to either fight or flee the situation, or we start coping in ways that are not healthy. And that's how they link together. Wow. Does that, you don't, don't raise your hand. <laughs> But does that not describe some of our thought life? Um, Carrie, uh, one of the things, I think it was Dr. Caroline Leaf in uh, Switch on Your Brain, she said anywhere between 75 to 98%. Per, so let me just, 75 to 98%. Um, I'm not familiar with those numbers because I generally got grades less than 75 but um, 75 to 98% of behavioral, um, mental, and physical issues, ailments, are connected to our thought life. That is correct. Whether it's anxiety, stress, or depression. Can you speak to that for a second? Because that is an inordinate amount mm -hmm. right Absolutely. there. Absolutely. One of the things we have to understand is y'all are professional story writers. Do you know this? I mean, you could put this on your resume. You write <laughs> stories all the time. Even if you don't like to write too bad, you're doing it anyway, okay? So we do this um, all the time where we uh, something negative happens or we have a negative interaction with someone. And what do you do? You start t saying, I am awful. 
I am the worst. This is never going to get better. We jump to these really, really negative stories that we tell. Or we write it about somebody else. Like, they hate me. They don't like this. They don't like that. Um, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm not enough. Mm. I'm never going to have what it takes, right? Um, I'm never going to get through this. This is too much for me. Or we write stories about their behavior and their interaction yeah. towards us. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That they think I'm not adequate. They think I'm this. Have you ever had somebody tell you what you think? Does that ever bug you? Yeah. <laughs> because usually you're like, that's what's in my head, right? We are very, very consumed with the idea that everybody in this room is having thoughts about me, which is not true because they're all wondering what you think of them, okay? So really, they aren't thinking about you as much as you think they are. You're not that important in their life, okay? <laughs> they, they don't have enough mental energy to give you. And so, but we end up going to this like, negative conclusion and that's when the anxiety raises up because it looks like a threat right if this if i'm not enough or if if they don't like me if this situation isn't good now it's a threat so now my whole body reacts to this right and so we jump to these negative conclusions that the worst things will happen or that the worst is true of us or the worst is true about somebody around us and and then so we are our thoughts gear into that now what happens in can i talk science for a second feel free okay <laughs> so i'm going to teach you another scientific term and i may have mentioned it last week but this is called neuroplasticity okay so what happens is your brain has neurons that make an association, right? So let's say somebody raises their voice and that, that tone of voice, you link it with a thought that I am inadequate. So anytime anybody raises the voice or you hear an intense voice, you link it to this thought I'm inadequate. Hmm. So it forms an association so that every time that happens, your brain fires and it goes a certain pathway in your head, right? Where it goes to, we need to now conclude that you are inadequate and we probably should cope negatively with us, right? And so that forms this pathway. But the great news, and this is so cool, this is so cool, because science is finally catching up with God's word, which is so neat, right? Because God is your creator. He made you. So when you read God's word, it might be that the things he's telling you are for your good because he desperately loves you and he knows exactly how you're wired. And so when he puts commands in there, it is for your good. It is not something to just say, well, that's a good suggestion. And then to say, yeah, he doesn't love me. He doesn't take my anxiety away. Because what you're really saying is he gave me suggestions I'm not willing to take because I don't trust that he loves me enough to get me through this. He's given these to us in his word. But what happens is when you begin to have that fire up, if you will apply some techniques of capturing your thoughts, taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ, which we'll touch on kind of how to do yeah. some of that here in a little bit, you can actually change the direction that your brain goes to a whole different way of thinking. And every time you strengthen that neural pathway, you weaken the old one. Isn't that cool? So all through the Old and New Testament, it talks about God is the God who makes all things new, including your brain. Isn't that cool? That is huge hope. And, and neuro, neuroscience is now finding out, oh, guess what? Our brains aren't stuck. They used to think your brain was stuck. Well, however you think, that's how you think. You can't change it. That's why people were stuck with mental illness, you know, and they're just sorry. Sorry about it, right? And that's really hopeless, right? But the fact that we hope is a new perspective is we serve a God who actually created our brains and science is finally figuring it out that you can actually change, absolutely change your brain so um, through the way you think. There's a, there's a scripture in the Old Testament that God's mercies are new every, new every morning. And I've, I've heard people quote that. And we've, we've sung it here before. God's mercies are new every, new every morning. And you talked about neuroplasticity of the brain, that the brain is malleable. Um, can you speak to the fact that that scripture actually um, can link up to this, this term called neurogenesis? So in the morning, and see, uh, see if I can get this right. In the morning, we literally wake up out of a restorative, restorative sleep, um, going through your REM sleep, um, having that deep sleep. We actually have new neuronal connections that are being made. So can you speak to that a little bit? Because it, it does speak to the fact that you are wired uh, in such a way that you you can 
come out of these things that you can change mm -hmm. your brain. So, how many of you have ever gone to sleep at night and everything is weighing on you? Right? I mean, you are David when he said at night, my heart overwhelms me. You were like, Amen, brother. That is some truth, right? <laughs> so, yeah. How many have you ever done that at night where you go to sleep and it just feels everyone? Have you ever woken up in the morning and you're like, Oh, it's not so bad? Yeah. That's neurogenesis happening. That's your neurons being rewired. That's science right ha happening right as you sleep because your brain does not stop working. It is still dealing with things. It is still working through things even while you are resting. And you also serve a God who does not sleep, right? And so he is working in you if you allow him to be, right? Even while you sleep. So that someday it doesn't mean that the whole situation is gone the next day. But it means that you have a whole new take, a fresh look at it. Um, and so something is happening in your brain where there is healing taking place um, while you sleep. Sleep is something we'll have to talk about. Yeah, we, we will be touching that probably in about 10 minutes. Um, so uh, there, is, there is the way we're wired from what we're gathering today and, and what we've been reading is the way we're wired. God, God has made us in such a way to, to move forward in our life. God is a God of movement, and he wants us to come out to whole and holiness. And um, you, you mentioned something on the phone. You, you and I had a conversation this week is that um, God is a, a holistic God. Now, I, 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 I want us to be clear because when we say holistic, then we start to get down some weird things. But what does that mean? What did you mean when you say God is a God who is a holistic God? And what does that mean for you and me and us? Absolutely. So it means that, you know, we, we sometimes split ourselves into components, right? So this is my spiritual part of me. This is the physical part of me. This is the emotional. That's my relational. That's my mental. And so we think that they're all separate from each other, but they're not. God has created you a spiritual human being, which means that if any of those areas is off, it will affect all of the other areas of your life. And that's why God cares holistically for us. He says, I don't just care about whether you are obeying me. I care whether you are getting sleep, whether you are eating in the ways that I have designed for your body to function well with. I care about your relationships, that you are not alone. Right? He says, I want to care holistically. And really, this is part of that whole and holy. I think God says, I want to be Lord of every area of your life, every single area. That's holiness, right? When he is Lord of every area. And we can only be whole and holy when we surrender each area and say, God, what is it you need to rearrange in each area of my life so that when they all work together, it's for my good and the good of everybody around me. So... I'm sure everyone sitting in here and everyone listening um, on the podcast or online, there have been a lot of things coming to mind for you, uh, whether you are in your 20s or whether you are in your 80s. There's, a, there's been a lot of things coming to mind for you, um, and you actually might be feeling some things. Um, what, because... You're right. God has a hope in the future. It says in Jeremiah 29, 11, um, God has a hope in the future for us. But the fact is, um, that grander vision that, that God has for all of us, um, it can either live with us or it can die with us, quite frankly. There are some things that we want in our life to be transformed, but um, I think often... We say, God, change this in my life, and we really don't want to put in the effort. Um, we don't want to step into it. We don't want to connect. We want to remain where we are, and we just want him to do the I dream a genie, hold arms, nod head, and there you go. It's complete. Um, so one of the things that has to happen in our life is self-awareness. Um, what role does self-awareness play? in this whole issue of anxiety, depression, and even suicidal ideation. Absolutely. Um, I, I mentioned this last week, we, did, we talked about last week, but I'll say it again, that 70% of adults do not know how to identify what they feel. And I think that breaks the heart of God because yeah. he created us to have emotions, right? 
Because if we don't, aren't aware of what is going on in us or what our, our body, and, and also this, I mean, do you know that your body tells you when something's wrong? Have you ever noticed that? Like you feel a little off? That's, that that's why is, I have Tums and Rollies. That's right. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. On. But maybe yeah. maybe there's a different way to deal with that. <laughs> but um, but God has given us those alarms, those awarenesses, because he's saying, I, I, I want you to pay attention to this. I tell you what, kids are way better at this than we are as adults, way better. I can, I can talk to little kids, and they're like, yeah, this is going on in my body. But I talk to adults, and they look at me blankly like, I have an alarm. I don't even know. It. What do you mean? Because we ignore it, right? We ignore some of the physical um, alarms that go off that say, hey, this is not for your best, right? Or something is going on here that you need to address. And so it's, it's the mix of understanding what your body's telling you, but also what are you feeling? Are you aware of it? Or are you ignoring it? Or you um, coping with it to get rid of it by, you know, mm. just turn on the screens and just, I'm not going to deal with that, right? And sometimes people turn to, to alcohol or, or drug use to just numb it so I don't have to deal with it. Um, or they turn to, um, uh, sometimes it's even just shopping, right? Or going yeah. to do things like that because now I don't have to feel what's going on in me. I don't have to be aware of it, which might be the very thing that God is trying to get your attention because he wants to do something new in you. How many of you, and probably are tired of taking surveys, but I'm going to take a survey anyways. How many of you in here, uh, when people say, how are you today, you, your patent response is either I'm good or I'm fine. Yep. I was notorious as a teenager when my mom would say, how are you? Fine. How is school? Fine. What are you doing? Fine. Like, it was just... And I literally had a conversation this week um, with somebody, and uh, I said, hey, man, how are you? I'm fine. And I jokingly, this is how I approach things. I said, okay, so let's become an adult and identify what we're feeling right now. And, and as, soon as, he sa- as soon as I said that, jokingly, he word vomited all over me. This is the situation. This is what's going on in my life. Um, I'm concerned. I'm worried. Uh, somebody is literally on their deathbed. And in that moment, as soon as I said, let's, let's identify what we're feeling, he just, he named it, and he spoke it. Um, I often am just like everybody else. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm okay. Um, what happens to us when we just pass it on and brush it off and we don't identify what we feel so when you don't you just it's another form of ignoring it right so does anything get better when we ignore it it's kind of the definition of insanity right (laughs) doing the same thing over and over again i hope it'll be different this time maybe i'll ignore it and it'll just get better and it doesn't right because that's not how it works and so um when we don't now i want to say this too i don't want you to think man i gotta go around this week and just tell everybody all my emotions yes you do safe people okay like we don't have to be like hi i'm carrie let me just tell you five emotions i got going on that'd be i mean great practice right um i think a great question would be ask somebody other than fine how are you right because we're all fine not really but we say it right other than fine how are you but the other the other piece of that is um what happens to us when we say fine it's a form of don't get any closer to me right don't ask me anything else right i'm fine move on don't get to know me right Mm. and that becomes a form of isolation and we live in a culture um, that is very very um we want to be like i got this i can handle this right I don't need anybody else. I shouldn't need anybody else. All these things. And other cultures don't live this way. We, we are, we're kind of weird. And so we've got this, this mentality that yeah. we should be able to do this by ourselves. And um, what that does is it isolates us. And in, in all honesty, it absolutely, we are living completely outside of the way God designed us to live. He made you relational on purpose. He sent Jesus to be relational, right? God with us. He's saying, I, you need to be in relationship. Um, one of my staff members, she's actually here today, but she brought up this fascinating observation just this week. We were talking about this, and she said, Carrie, listen to this. What's the very first thing God said that was not good? What's the very first thing he said was not good? 
Is this like a Bible test? What do you think? Do you remember? Pastor's totally going to fail on this one. Just like I failed Old Testament in college. (coughs) (coughs) Undergrad, by the way. Uh, (laughs) I'm... In Genesis, what did he say? The fr- he was creating. That's not good? Yeah, he, that's he said, not that's good. good, and that's good, and that's good. And then he said, something is not good. What was it? There you go. Oh, doggone it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yes, he said the very first thing. <laughs> See, we're being open, right? This is good. Jeez. I love it. But the very first thing he said totally was not fired. good <clears throat> was for man to be alone. And he wasn't just talking about marriage. He was talking about being connected with someone, right? And you see that. I mean, Matthew, you shared. You were talking. I was like, keep going. That's so good. That's so good. He's talking (laughs) about how you need that to get back up again. And then in the New Testament, it says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, right? All through Scripture, you are not meant to be alone. Uh, you are not meant to isolate yourself. It will get worse if you do that. So what you're saying is that, putting it in the Ambrosian version, is that we need to be vulnerable. Um, we need to allow ourselves, not, not with everybody, you don't air out your dirty laundry to whomever or Facebook or Instagram, but we literally need to open the chest cavity, pull out our heart like Indiana Jones, and say, here it is, man. Um, we need to allow ourselves to be vulnerable with people um, that genuinely will speak into us because in that act of vulnerability is strength. In that act of vulnerability is a sign of courage and willingness to, to, to grow and become whole. Uh, It also gets you outside your own head, which is often our greatest problem. We'll talk about that that, later. That's my issue, yes. You you get somebody else who can say, whoa, where are your thoughts going? Are you sure? And that can be the very person who can present to you that new perspective that you need that totally flips things around in you. Absolutely. So we're kind of coming to the end here. And I... I know, folks, I know that we're not going to be able to address everything. There's just no way you're gonna, we're going to be able to address everything in a, in a, in a talk that's 35 minutes long. Um, there's so much more um, to, be, to be had. This series is literally just the beginning of the conversation, and, and our hope is that this conversation continues outside these walls, that this conversation starts to happen in your family, in your relationships, in your own world, in your community, in your workplace, in the church, because there are many of you sitting here that attend other churches. Um, we're not in here to pull you from another church. I, I really feel like you need to bring this to where you are, um, into your other churches. But as we start to, to move this into a, a close, um, what do we do with this? What control do we have? Uh, what choices can we make? Um, and, and, and I believe you have an insert in your in your bulletin, and I think Carrie's going to start to address that. There's a couple things in there. So would you mind sharing that? Absolutely. So with anxiety and depression, or even suicidal ideation, um, which often stems out of one of these, anxiety or depression, right? Um, one, what, what is so crucial, as Pastor Steve was talking about, is, is your thoughts. And a lot of times when I talk with people, they don't realize that they actually have a say in that. And, you know, I think we talk about how God it has control, but I think sometimes God's like, oh, I gave you some. I gave you some control. Please use it. Yeah. Please use it. Yeah. And so he, uh, in 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Do you realize that when you are telling negative stories about yourself, you're pretty much lying to yourself? Right? Is that obedient to Christ? No. That's good. Wait, can you say that again, please? When we tell negative stories and all these, like, jump to these conclusions that I'm not good enough, I'm not enough, or they hate me, and these stories are false. So in a sense, you are lying to yourself. And, and you're, you're literally demolishing and undercutting what God said in Genesis um, where 
we are the culmination of creation. Human beings are the culmination, not animals, not vegetation, you and I. And he said, at the close of it all, it is very good. He emphasized that he, because of you and me. And so you're absolutely right. You're, we're undercutting what he said about us. Absolutely. Which is, you know, that is, that is not obedient to be telling falsehoods right about others or about ourselves to ourselves it's not okay and so that's why we have to take every thought captive and make sure it lines up now that doesn't mean that we don't ever need to tweak something in our life right or refine something but to say that you're not worth it how do you think jesus feels he went to the cross for you 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 said that what that wasn't enough for you that wasn't enough yes it was so to get back to this yeah All right, so when you have this awareness that stuff is stirring up inside of you, okay? Um, Remember last week, and if you weren't here, you might, they might have some extra handouts out there of the, out there, okay, of the calming techniques, right? We practice deep breathing, right? And we practice like muscle relaxation. You may need to do that first and foremost before you can even think, okay? Because you got to get things calmed down because it's really hard to think when everything's going off inside, all right? So use a calming technique first. Then you've got to identify, what is it I feel? Give it a name. Because when you do that, you flip into using your frontal lobe, because your frontal lobe has language that your hippocampus limbic system does not have. It feels the emotion, but it doesn't have language. And you need to use this frontal lobe God gave us that has reason, and it can think, and it can come to meaning, and it can, that's where the new perspective comes into play, okay? So you've got to give it a name. And then this is where I would say you're going to have an out-of-brain experience, okay? Here we go. This is what this means, all right? So did you know that you can actually kind of like pull back and examine your your thoughts? Did you know this? This is is what people don't live in. They just think that you don't have any control over this, so they just react to it. But you have the ability, when you identify what you feel, to ask yourself, what am I telling myself? What's the message my brain is doing right now? And I put in there, what is my worry brain saying? That's your, like, freak out part of your brain, right? What is it saying <laughs> to me? What is, what is this story? What is, is it, is, what's the story I'm writing right now? You actually can pull back and look in and say, oh, I am totally writing that. And you can actually think about what it is that you're doing. And then you begin to challenge that thinking, right? This is your still out-of-brain experience, right? You're saying, okay, so that's what I'm thinking. Now, is it... Is that actually true? Or is that kind of a story I wrote, right? Do I know that it's true? Or am I feeling like it's true, right? Um, what, is, what is the difference there between what I'm feeling and what's actually true? Or is there a negative belief stuck in there that I'm having trouble to get through? And then we begin to shift our thinking, right? Where else is there a different perspective on what I'm telling myself right now that I need to consider? This is a great time to connect with somebody else, right? This is a great time. Uh, we do this in our office. Um, I've done this with my assistant. I've d- we do it with counselors. I've witnessed this in their office. Yeah. <laughs> you actually hear us saying, you know, Micah, she's my assistant. She's here today. But I will say, okay, Micah, I got to tell you, here's totally where my brain went. I am feeling a lot of anxiety. Here's where my brain went. And she'll say, Carrie, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I realize that. She's like, let's talk about what's true here, you know? And she'll just help me kind of, like, she presses back against it. And sometimes I'm like, oh, okay, I got the new perspective. I'm good. And I can move on with my day. isn't it often what we we tend to do? Um, We tend to find people that agree with the narrative in our head, the the negative narrative, narrative in our head. We have this tendency, you and I have this tendency, to go find people that will stand and sit on our side and confirm or affirm what's going on in here is in fact true when it's not necessarily true. And what we really do need are people that will be on our side but stare us right in the face and say, first of all, that's incorrect. This is not a true narrative. This is not in congruence with God's word and the way you're created. Because if we have those people that speak into our life and are able to do that, then these out-of-mind experiences 
um, out of brain experiences and really that contemplation, we can begin to move forward. If we allow people to speak negatively into our life and allow them to, if we have people that, that affirm the negative um, spiral in our life, we'll never, never get out of that spiral. You'll never get out of there. And so I, I feel like that's so and important that's for us. that's called negativity bias or confirmation bias, right? Yeah. So whatever I think negatively, that's all. Now, all I'm going to look for in life is all the things that support my negative belief. And you don't even see the good. And right? isolation perpetuates oh, that, huge. does it not? Huge. Mm-hmm. Wow. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, so, so we have to take those thoughts captive and, and, and check them out with somebody. Can I tell you where my brain went? You know, and here's what I'm thinking, and I'm having trouble flipping it around. Can you help me out? That's why we're the body of Christ, right? This is where we become whole and holy for each other. But there's also a passage in Scripture that I really kind of want to just touch on, if that's all right, in Philippians 4. Got it up on screen. Awesome. So this is, again, I told you last week that Paul is a cognitive behavioral therapist, and I can't wait to sit down and have conversation. I don't even know that he knew he was one, (laughs) you know, when he wrote this. But this is the inspired word of God, right? And so God was speaking through Paul and saying, I need my people to know this. So I want you to hear this this passage because there's something in here that we miss a lot and there's a promise that comes with it, but you have to get the whole thing. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this is a power-packed passage, right? Absolutely. So, first of all, it says, don't be anxious about anything. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> what? Right? And I think the reason Paul's writing it is because he said, I know you're going to be. I'm so anxious about not it. being anxious right? about anything. Exactly. So he Yikes. says, he says, don't be anxious. But he says, but in everything, by prayer and petition, and we skip the next two words, and we say, present your request to God. We're good at that right? God, help me. This is awful, right? I need help. And so we do that. We present a request, and then we look at the next promise this is, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And we're thinking, why is that not happening? I presented my request. Why is there no peace, right? Why am I not experiencing that? And when it says guard your hearts and your minds in scripture, your heart is the seat of your emotions, okay? So he's saying, well, guard your emotions and your thinking. That's what he's saying here. And so we wonder when I just pray about these things, how come it doesn't get better? Why don't I feel better? Because we skip these two words in the middle that say with thanksgiving. Now, why, do you need to say something? No, keep going. Rock it out. All right. So (laughs) why that is important is this. Does that mean that I'm supposed to say, Okay, God, um, my, my mom was just diagnosed with cancer, and um, I'm, now I'm supposed to say, please help her with that. Please heal her. And um, I'm supposed to say, and thank you for cancer, and thank you that this is awful, and now I'll have peace? No. I'm just going to call mean, that out. That's yeah, just weird. It doesn't mean that we give yeah. thanks for the bad things. It means that we give thanks in them. Right? And there's another passage of scripture that says, give thanks in all things. Not for them, but in them. And here's, what, here's how this might sound different. When you begin to put this prayer into practice. God, my mom just was diagnosed with cancer. And my heart, I am fearful. I'm afraid. I'm uncertain. I'm, I'm hurting. I'm scared. But you love her. And you are still God. And you're going to reveal yourself during this time in ways I may have never known. I'm going to get to know you through this in a whole new way. Thank you for how you're going to advance your gospel through this. For the people's lives that I will now have understanding for. Because I am now walking this road. Thank you, God, for what you're going to show me as we walk through this together. And literally, almost, almost every psalm in the book of Psalms starts out that way. Mm-hmm. Here's the situation. It's dire. I'm about to die. I've got people breathing down my necks. Uh, people that are evil are prospering, and I am not. It starts out 
and it moves in this direction of thanksgiving mm -hmm. and it moves in the direction of making sure that god we're we're aware that god is literally on his throne right Right. And it's thanking him. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you won't leave me through this. Thank you that you are redeemer, and I'm going to watch you be that, right? Um, that is an incredible way to pray. And do you hear the difference in that prayer? So when, when you pray with thanksgiving while you're presenting your request to God, then the promise, the peace of God, which goes beyond anything you could understand in your circumstance right now, guards your emotions and your thoughts. You now think different. You now feel different. You can now have the courage to move forward. And that brings us, it helps us move into this point of scripture, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. And not only does it move us in the thought life, because our behavior life is a response to our thought life. Paul then says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Begin to live it out. Your thought life moves you into your behavioral life. This is one of the thing, reasons why we, we hope that people here belong, see that they can belong here at Wapaknaz before they believe and before they behave because we'd rather people belong here to move them into belief and then into behaving and transformation. Uh, so Absolutely. There, there's a few things that, that other action steps that, that you were going to address, and, and can you kind of throw those out? Sure. So uh, in, in your sheet, I've actually given you space to do this because you know how, like, yeah, it's great she talked about that, and we just move on, right? <laughs> um, so I actually... I put spaces in there. Do you see that? That means for you to fill in, okay? So there's, I want you to pra practice Philippians 4. Not that we're going to do it right this second. Um, but I really would like you to do that before the end of today. Before this day is done. You know, could you just take time to write a prayer that you have out? And then write it with thanksgiving, right? Beginning to say, God, thank you for your character. Thank you for how you're going to get me through this. Thank you for who you will connect me with that I've never been connected to before because of this. And so begin to do that. The other piece of this, which Paul's addressing here, is he's saying, shift, you got to give your brain something else to do, right? Because your brain will go to the negative because it's been wired that way, right? Over time. But to give it to help it go a different direction, to create new neural pathways, He's saying, you got to give it something to do. And so one of the ways we do that is through a grateful challenge, right? Yeah. So uh, is intentionally being grateful. And my husband, he struggled with anxiety too. And so we have grateful journals that we have by our bed. And every night uh, before we go to sleep, we end our day, both of us separately, writing three things we're grateful for about that day. Now, do you realize what that does to your brain at night? At night when your heart overwhelms you, right? And you're thinking about all the things I didn't get done, didn't do right, should have done, would, wish I would have done, all those things. That can plague you and create major anxiety. But if you are to, uh, to consciously shift that to, what happened today that I'm grateful for? What happened today that I appreciate? Where did I see God show up today? you are consciously shifting your thinking and you write those three things down, over time that will change your whole perspective. And we have out here a grateful challenge that looks like this. We've given you a bazillion topics in case you're like, I'm not sure what to write about. We have topics for you, okay? So you just pick a topic, you can write it down or you don't have to, you can pick your own topic and you write three things that you're grateful for. It's a 30 day grateful challenge because it takes about 30 days for a habit to change, right? But this can create major lasting change in you. So on top of that, do you want me to talk about sleep? Or I don't know where we're well, at with time. To be honest with you, I, th I think that topic, um, and you can correct me if yeah. I'm wrong because you're the professional here, uh, would, would that work best? Um, would that kind of tie into our grief and loss will, as well? because it's part of managing all that. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, can we, can we yeah. address that next week? Sure. Um, and so the last thing that I, I want to draw your attention to is, you know, one thing that we are going to do in November, um, and I had no idea that she was bringing this out until last week, um, we're actually going to have a grateful challenge as a congregation as well, uh, starting in November. But uh, our tapestry ministry, uh, our women's ministry, which is a ministry which is uh, designed to fellowship but also do mission, they had put together um, a package 
um, called a blessing bag back in August, and I was trying to figure out when the right moment was to introduce that to you. Uh, and uh, today is probably a good day because we need to be like James, where he said, don't merely we hear the word, but do. Be doers of the word. And so with the Grateful Challenge, there's a lot of tools that we're trying to resource to you, but there are other folks that are out there that are in need of something. Um, and this allows you to, to do that. So this is a blessing bag. They're designed um, to be in your car, um, to be with you. And when you find someone that is in need, uh, whether in a gas station, walking along the road um, with, a, with a cardboard sign, um, this is for you to have in your back seat for you to roll down your window and hand it to them. A blessing bag. This is a practice of gratefulness. This is a practice of gratitude. This is a practice in which we want to connect with people and remind them that they're not by themselves because we often feel like we're by ourselves. So there's a lot of tools and resources. Um, you can add to this bag whatever you want to add to it. Um, there's, there's a lot of different things in here. Um, but, and you can take this and run with this and do this on your own as well. But we have about 20 or 30 out here in the lobby. Uh, Matthew will have those ready for you to go. Um, you can pick one up, put it in your car, and when you see that somebody's in need, here you go. I don't know if all this will help you, but some of it will. just want to let you know that you're loved. Um, we need to practice this. Um, you and I need to practice these things. And so um, I just want to say thank you, Carrie, very, very much. Um, there are also resources out there. There are books. Um, as I said last week, many of those books, if you have a library card, um, there's an app called Hoopla. And you can download that app on your phone, and then you can access those uh, on Hoopla, um, and you can listen to those for free. Um, we are not in the business to make money. Um, we are in the business to um, redeem lives. And so the books out there, um, those are at cost. Um, but if you cannot pay for at cost, then you know, if you can able to give a dollar, give a dollar for that. Um, some of the resources that I would like to uh, show um, you today that are in this conversation, um, switch on your brain. Switch on your brain is a lot of the discussion that we've been having neurologically and scripturally. Um, and let me tell you, this is encouraging. This was very encouraging to me and has really reshaped my thinking as well. Um, emotionally healthy spirituality. Uh, this is a little bit more introspective. Um, it's a very easy read. Uh, it's by a pastor who actually dealt with a lot of familial issues, a lot of generational issues, um, and he shares those. But he also brings those to, to action for yourself, self-awareness, um, connecting. Um, so this is emotionally healthy spirituality. I would highly recommend this as well. Um, it, it, this you want to you wanna reflect on. Um, and then we have been really focusing on, I don't have the, the dust cover, but this is Max Lucado, the scripture that you see up there, Philippians 4, 7 through 10. He unpacks this not only in a pastoral format, but he also packs this, unpacks that with dealing with anxiety and issues. This is another easy read. So I believe you can download that as well. And a little bit more on the science perspective, but kind of brings it down to street level and understanding is uh, rewire your anxious brain. These are out there and available. Um, if if uh, we're, we run out, we'll go ahead and purchase more. Um, but we want to provide you as many tools as possible. There's also information out there um, regarding uh, suicide. If you've lost someone to suicide, or if you have, um, if you have uh, also, um, you know someone who is possibly having some suicidal ideation, if you're a veteran and you're dealing with those issues and you're living on the edge, there's a magnet out there. There's a lot of information out there regarding just talking about suicide. And uh, Chad Dunlap had a conversation this past week at, at um, uh, Anytime Fitness and shared his story. I would just recommend that you just pull him aside and say, dude, I want to hear your story because there's hope. So, folks, there's hope. You're not by yourself. Um, you're not by yourself at all. We love you. You are important to us, and you're important to God, and we are praying for you. We are praying for you. So will you please stand? Um, and I'd like to end in a word of prayer. I appreciate your patience. I appreciate you guys being engaged with the conversation. And I really do hope um, this has helped you in some way. Heavenly Father, where we are today is hopefully not where we're going to be tomorrow. You do have a future. 
you do have hope for us. You have a better life. You have, a, a, you have created us in such a way to live fullness, to live in the fullness, to become whole and holy. And Father, if there's anyone in this room that is unable to see that right now, God, I ask that you intervene by your spirit, but also that you send people into their life to connect with them, to love on them, and to li just literally sit and listen to them and speak truth and encouragement into them. God, will you break the cycles in our life? And may we choose to step into that, that truth. May we become active and work in tandem with you and with other people. God, you desire transformation. And may this conversation this month begin a movement, not only in our lives, but our community, because it's much bigger than Wapaknaz. It's all over Wapakoneta. It's all over Shawnee, St. Mary's, and on and on and on. God, begin this movement and begin this conversation. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray today. Amen. Will you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength? And please love your neighbor as yourself. Have a wonderful day.